Today's reading is from James, first chapter, verses 22 through 25. Listen to God's word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be be to God. Will you pray with me and for me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us your word. You give us direction, Lord, and you are with us. That that word is in your scriptures and in your Holy Spirit that dwells in and among us. And so we pray, Lord, not only that we would hear your word this morning, that we would Uh, understand and recognize the call you've placed in our lives, but Lord, you would give us the strength to put our faith into action and to respond to the things that you've called us to. And God, I, I simply pray over the words you've given me. May they be from you and not from me. And so we lift all these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So according to a survey by the American Institute of Architects, Apparently, 64% of architecture firms are reporting an increased interest in outdoor living spaces. And if you've ever seen them, uh, there are actually shows on HGTV about uh, renovating your backyard and making it just a a serene environment where you can go and spend uh, your evenings together as a family. They're saying that people say they want a luxurious outdoor world right in their backyard so they can escape everyday lives. And they can hang out as a family, spend outside, spend time outside while staying at home. At least that's what people say they want. But according to the study, according to researchers, there's just one problem. Evidence shows that for all the good intentions, most families don't spend time in their backyard retreats. They build these big lavish things and then they end up not spending any time in their backyard. A 2012 book titled, Life at Home in the 21st Century revealed the results of an in-depth study. Uh, Basically, researchers at UCLA studied middle-class families in Los Angeles, and they took hours and hours of footage. They uh, filmed these families to see what they would do, and then they would review the footage and how they actually spent their time. So according to their research, children averaged a whopping 40 minutes a week outside. And with, when they built these places. Adults logged less than 15 minutes per week in their outdoor spaces. And mind you, they all benefited from sunny Southern California weather. They all had uh, great outdoor furniture, a nice porch, trampolines, even pools. They just didn't use them. But what's ironic about this is that most families told the researchers that they were using their backyards often. That's the box they would check. I use my backyard often. But the researchers' observations proved otherwise. One of the researchers noted that rather than using their outdoor uh, areas as retreats, they would retreat to a screen, to TV, uh, video games, uh, a computer. These were the places where they would retreat. 
And what they've found is that people don't like this image. They don't want to uh, project this image that they're going uh, and that their ideal, you know, life of a retreat is retreating to a screen so they don't acknowledge it. Instead, families perpetuate the illusion of spending time outside because that's their ideal. But what researchers noted in their concluding remarks is that there was a, a profound disconnect between belief and action. Welcome back to our series on the book of James. And uh, if you've ever read the book of James or you've been with us the last couple weeks, which we are encouraging you to read uh, the book of James through uh, while we're going through this study, the reason we're studying this book is because it is one of the most practical books in the New Testament of how to put our faith into action, of how to live out our beliefs. In fact, one of the central themes throughout is backing up your faith with action. Does what you say that you believe, does it match the way you live? Does your walk match your talk? And so we're studying how to put your faith in action. And today, we're going to talk about a working faith. Having a working faith. So if you've been with us the last couple weeks, uh, then you know that uh, the book of James isn't actually a book. It's an epistle, a letter, right? Y'all are so great. Uh, yeah, the book of James is a letter. It's written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, James was actually a skeptic. He didn't believe in Christ when, before the resurrection, before Christ's death. But upon meeting Christ in the resurrection, upon meeting uh, the resurrected Jesus, James had a radical conversion experience, so much so that he went from being a skeptic to being basically the, the senior pastor of the first, first church of Jerusalem. And so he's writing this letter out to the, uh, to the scattered folks all around, and he's giving them instruction. Because here's what happened with James, and here's why we're studying James. Because James didn't meet Jesus, who was resurrected, and say, I feel better in my heart. Oh, that's nice. I've met the resurrected Jesus. What happened when James met the resurrected Jesus? His life dramatically changed. Something in him and about him shifted so that his entire trajectory of his life was completely different. You know, I think we would all say that our lives have changed upon meeting Christ. Would you agree? But James lived out of that change. And I think that's the thing we struggle with, and that's why we're studying this book. He knew that his faith wasn't a one-time experience, and then it was done. It was something that he had to build on over time. It's a working faith. Something we work on and work at so that we make sure our faith is more than just something we think about and it's more than just something we talk about, but it's something we do. It becomes an action. And James challenges us to ask the question, does our faith really work in our lives? And here's why we're, we're asking these questions, because here's the deal. As Pastor Marks reminded us last couple of weeks, there is a battle going on between good and evil, between right and wrong. And as Christians, as a people who have faith that Jesus Christ is our risen Savior and saves us from sin and death, we are the ones that others are looking to and wondering, hey, does Christianity really matter? So I've got my life and I do my thing and I've got my life just the way I want it. Why should I buy into Christianity? What's so great about it? And so they look to us to ask those questions. And you know, it's true, it's part of our culture 
If you've ever gone and shopped at Amazon, which I do, I look and I'll read the nice, wonderful things that the people say about their, uh, their product, but really I skim over that for a second, and I'll go straight to where the reviews. And if it doesn't have four or five stars, and I'm trying to invest a bunch of money into it, I usually keep going, and really what I do, because I know that there's good and bad, but I will read uh, the good stuff and the bad stuff because I want to get an idea is the thing that, these, that I want to invest in, are other people who have invested in it, has it made a difference in their life? Is it something worth investing in? Because reviews are extremely important because we want to know, does it work? And so people will look at our lifestyle, the way we live. Do we, re, do we react harshly under stressful situations or do we have that peace that people can't quite explain or understand. That's the sort of thing that people are looking at. That's the sort of questions people are asking. And we've been encouraging you to bring your Bibles. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to have that. Have a pen ready. We have uh, an opportunity for you to write any notes on the back. But pull out your Bibles if you have them with you. We're going to turn to James. James is in the back uh, just a couple chapters before Revelation. And uh, we're going to turn to James. We're dealing with chapter uh, 1, verses 22 through 25 today. And here's what James uh, calls us to or invites us to do. invite you to follow along. Do not merely listen to the word, he says, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Now, if you have a pen and this is your Bible and you're not... Well, even if it's your friend's Bible, they probably need this anyway. Uh, But circle, do what it says. If you've got that in your Bible, circle, do what it says. And uh, if your Bible reads differently, then you can just, I want to invite you to write, do what it says in the margin. Do what the Word says. Now, we think about the Old Testament, we think about all those rules and all the commands and all the things that they tell us to do in there, and Jesus came, and we don't have all those rules. But can I tell you something? Did you know that there are over a thousand commands in the New Testament? Over a thousand commands of to do or to not do, to be or to not be, to abstain, to uh, all these commands that we are supposed to do. And really, you can actually take all of those thousand commands and you can break them uh, into 69 different headings, and 69 different types. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, I think one of the things that we struggle with as Christians is we struggle to figure out all the things we're supposed to do. And you know, the reason we need to do these things isn't because it's the thing that saves us. We know that in Scripture, Scripture talks about it's by uh, grace that we're saved, by faith, not by our works. But what I will say and what Scripture teaches us is that these works grow our faith that they become a part of us and they help us to grow more mature in our faith in Christ. And when we go through difficult times and trials, as we grow our faith, it makes it easier and stronger for us to respond and react the way that we should, the way that Christ calls us to. And so that's why we do these commands. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time today talking about these 69 different types of commands. So it's going to be a while. We'll probably be here all week. Um, The 815's waiting out there. They're going to come back in. No, we're not going to do that. You know, really what happens is they can, we can simplify all of this. Jesus, thank goodness, gives us the cliff notes 
to all the laws and commands and all the things that we should be doing. He boils it down into two main points. So if you'll follow along with me on the screen to Luke chapter 10, verses 27. I want to invite you to read this with me. This is, this is what Jesus says is the most important thing. These are, all the commands are boiled down into these two things. Read it with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to do what the Word says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God with all you got, and love people around you uh, as yourself. And then Jesus said, form a small group and talk about what it means to love God with all you have and love... No, he didn't say that, did he? Oh, goodness, he caught me. Okay, well, Jesus said, go out and I want you to pray that you would love God with all you have and pray that you'd love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't really say that either. He does call us to pray. Okay, well, Jesus said, when it works for you, when it's convenient, I want you to love God with all you have and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. No, he didn't say that either. Jesus gives us a command. He said, love God and love others. It's a verb. It's an action. Love is something we need to do and to participate in. Jesus is saying, do this. It's important. If you get anything else out of what Christ is saying, Christ is saying the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Do this. It's important. And James even uh, points out why this is important. In uh, chapter 1, 23 and 24, he compares it uh, to this illustration, to this image of somebody walking up to the mirror and, once, and looking at the reflection. And once they leave the mirror, they completely forgot what they look like. Because you know what action does for us? Action prevents amnesia. Because what happens is we can get overwhelmed by all these commands. We can... We can hear what God is saying, but when we start to do what Christ calls us to do, it becomes so a part of us, we remember, and we remember in the moments when it matters. Action prevents amnesia. Because here's the thing, I, I've talked with so many folks, and, and I've had the same struggle in my life. I think we get so caught up in thinking, well, I need to learn more before I can go out and do what God's called me to do. Friends, I want to challenge that idea this morning. I want to say that we don't have a knowledge problem of what we should do. We have an application problem. And most of us have a hard time doing what the Word calls us to do because we're conditioned to look out for ourselves and our families first. We're conditioned to be skeptical about loving God and loving others. That's how the world around us has conditioned us to be. But friends, can I tell you, this isn't how God made us. In fact, Paul talks about this in chapter uh, 2, verse 8 through 10 of Ephesians. Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved by faith, so that no, uh, it's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Applying action to our faith is what we were created to do, to love God with all that we have, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And to be honest with you, there's really two things that keep us from loving God with all we have 
and loving our neighbor as herself. It's a lack of conviction and a lack of courage. And to be honest with you, conviction is what leads us to courage. Conviction is the motivation we have, we need. You know, I grew up, my dad was uh, always, you know, gave me these life lessons. And one of the things he implanted in my head, he said, car safety, tires and brakes are the most important thing you can do to car safety. Tires and brakes, tires and brakes. Make sure your tires and brakes are always good. And uh, man, I believed that. In fact, I believed it so much that I went out and I would tell my friends we'd be in the car and their car and I would hear the whistling sound. You know that whistling sound when your brakes are starting to go out? If you don't, I want you to know if your brakes whistle, it means they're about to go out. And I knew that. So I would tell all my friends, hey, I think you need to get your brakes checked. That's, that's your car. I was really good at uh, believing that and sharing that. And uh, if we were driving down the road and I could feel their tires, you know, a little off, I would look at their tread and say, hey, I really think you need to update your tires. Because I really believed in this stuff. Now, here's my moment of confession And uh, this is just true. I believed it, but can I tell you, uh, it's true that in my life, I've allowed my brake pads to get so bad that they've worn through the rotors, the the things that make your your wheels go round. I know, and I've had to, (laughs) this poor mechanic one time, he was showing me how he could barely get the rotor off because the brakes had chewed through them so bad and warped them. So that's how I believed it, but I didn't do it. And my tires, my tires have been so bad in my life that I have had to hold the steering wheel and I was too cheap to go out and get new tires. And I just thought, well, maybe just a couple more thousand miles it'll make it through. We'll keep going and hoping and praying. I'll just pray for it. But can I tell you what happens? When, when Melissa came to me and let me know that we were going to have our, our first son, our, our baby, all of a sudden, I went out. One of the first things I did was change the brakes and the tires in both cars. And can I tell you why? Because it, it was, I was convicted about it. It was something that became important in my life. It wasn't something I just believed and told others about and thought about and thought, it, yeah, that's really important. It was something I went out and did because it mattered. All of a sudden, the game had changed for me. And so we need conviction. Conv- a lack of conviction can stop us from loving God with all that we have and loving neighbors as ourselves. But we need the courage to follow through and to maintain that conviction. Because there's a lot of scary stuff out there and there are a lot of skeptics and critics and people telling us that uh, investing in, in Christianity and doing what we're doing may not be that important. And so we need the courage to go out and to face that. We need courage to follow through with our conviction. So it was Easter weekend in 1937 when Billy Graham, do you see that picture? He looks so young, if you've seen Billy Graham. The, the great evangelist, Billy Graham, he had his first opportunity to preach at the age of 18. And it was at this small Baptist church uh, down in Florida. And, you know, he had uh, gone and prepared, and he was really nervous. Uh, his knees were knocking. He was afraid that uh, he wasn't going to say the right things. And so he basically, his very first sermon was four borrowed sermons back to back. And I'm telling you, four borrowed sermons that he preached in eight minutes, back to back to back, eight minute span. And uh, he had such a tough time on his very first sermon that uh, somebody from the church came over to him after and said, boy, you better get better and go back to school and get a lot more education because you're not going to make it. 
Can you imagine that was said to Billy Graham after his very first sermon? But you know, Billy Graham needed courage in that moment. And Billy Graham did return to school. And after wrestling with his, uh, his calling, God's calling on his life to preach, he followed through. His courage grew with practice. I'm going to say that again. His courage grew with practice. I think sometimes we think we're just going to get this big, heavy dose of courage and we're going to feel good. But Billy Graham, he'll tell you, his courage grew with practice. So even though his audience was sometimes nothing more than alligators and cypress stumps and birds, he practiced over and over and over again, and it grew his courage. And today, he's one of the most recognized Christians of our time, and his courage and conviction in who Christ is is what he's all about. Faith is a journey that grows in stages. You know, I think we have this fear, and one of the reasons we kind of struggle with a lack of conviction and a lack of courage is we think we have to bite it all off at once. We think we're going to perfectly love God, uh, you know, with all that we have and love our neighbors ourselves, and then we mess up. And we think, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm not good at this thing. Well, friends, faith is a journey that grows in stages. We don't do it all at once, but we have to start somewhere and we have to keep taking those steps. We must take steps to love God and to love others. And so today we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about a simple way to make sure that we're taking those steps. And really it's four diagnostic questions. And uh, if, again, if you have your notes, I'm going to invite you to write these down. If you have a pen, write these four questions down. I want to challenge you. I know we have homework and, and stuff listed there, but my challenge for you this week is to write these questions down and to ask these questions to yourself every day. And to do something about them. To take a step. To take a step in your faith. Four diagnostic questions. I'd invite you to write them down. And uh, if you get these down, friends, it's going to radically change your life. So this is important. The first question is this. Am I investing more of my heart in God? Am I investing more of my heart in God? Do the things I care about match the things that God cares about? In James chapter 1 Uh, Verse 27, he says it like this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And what that means is we need to have a heart after God's own heart. That's what it means to, to keep yourselves from being polluted by the world. But one of the ways we do that is we're involved in the mission. And in James's time, what it means to to care for the orphans and the widows, these were the two most vulnerable groups of his time. And so what James is saying is invest more of your heart in God by caring for the vulnerable because that's, those are the folks that God's heart is breaking for. So does your heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for? So I've spoke to somebody at this church who, uh, who took a leap of faith a few years ago and uh, went on their I went on a mission trip over to Africa to Sierra Leone to Bo to visit Mercy Hospital and uh, Child Rescue Center where um, there's some great, amazing work that's happening. This church supports that great, amazing work. And they went on that trip, not sure what to expect, not sure how it was going to go. But can I tell you, when they came back from that trip, their heart had changed a little bit because they had spent time with the vulnerable, with the orphans, and with the widows, with those who were suffering. And, 
And uh, she'll tell you, she'll say, you know, one of the things that I realized is my heart is different because I've, I've seen the things that God cares about. You know, when we start to spend time with the vulnerable and we have a heart for the things that God cares about, when we invest in the vulnerable, we begin to invest our hearts a little bit more in God. And this trip to care for the vulnerable gave her the courage and the conviction that she needed to love God with a little bit more of her heart. Am I investing more of my heart in God? That's the first question. The second question, am I investing more of my soul in God? Now, you can probably see where these questions are going. But am I investing more of my soul in God? You know, I know we struggle with this idea of what a soul is, but our soul is deeply tied to our convictions. What are the things that we're immovable about? What are the lines in the sand that we have drawn that we refuse to budge from? What are the things that we find so important that everything else is shifted around that one thing? Am I investing more of my soul in God? Am I, do I make things like worship and prayer a priority? Is giving God thanks in my life and giving God the glory in my life for the things that, that I'm doing, for the things that I'm a part of? Is that a priority in my life or is it an afterthought? Is it something I think about first and I try to live out of or is it something I do later? You know, I met Carol for the first time in Texas when I came over to her house uh, to prepare for the funeral of her husband, service of remembrance, and, uh, who died unexpectedly at 55. And I presided over his funeral. I remember I invited her to church you know, and offered for her a community if she needed a support system and uh, said, you know, we'd love to have you at worship. And uh, kind of to my surprise, but not really uh, to my pleasure, I, I saw her at church that next Sunday. And she took that first step of investing a little bit more. And so she took that first step and, and attended worship. And then she took another step. She came back to worship the next week. And she kept taking step after step and coming to worship Every week, and you could see that eventually her conviction about worship as a priority in her life, because she practiced it, began to come, become more and more of a priority. And then her conviction grew, and she started to volunteer at the church. She started to be involved in the things and the work that God was at work doing uh, in the church. And you could see, because she was investing her soul into God, how much God was transforming her soul. Am I investing more of my soul in God. So here's the third question. Am I investing more of my strength in God? Now James in chapter 2 verses uh, 15 and 16, he lays it on kind of hard. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and, uh, and, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it if somebody comes up to you and they are, are struggling and in need of something and uh, you say, go, keep warm and, and well fed and, and best of luck to you. You know, one of the primary ways or the primary way that we can see physically God at work in this world is through his people, through the church. That's how we can physically, tangibly see in the most easiest way, God at work. But I've also found that uh, So God calls us to give our strength so that we can be a part of what God is doing in the world. But 
Here's the thing that I've discovered. When we give our strength to God, we not only accomplish so much more than we ever could if we just did things on our own, but we're blessed by it. And so I want to invite you, you've probably heard about this date on uh, Saturday, April 9th, but I want to invite you to come and uh, join us for No Hunger Day here at the church. Uh, You know, it's a great opportunity whether you want to package meals for Stop Hunger Now or go down to Shalom Farms or do some of the work we're going to do in the community. This is a great opportunity for you to take that step and invest a little bit more time, uh, a, a little bit more strength rather, in God. And let me just say a little bit more about that. This is a family-geared event. And uh, can I tell you that anytime families get together and do an act of service in the name of God, something special happens. It's one of those moments you can look back and point to and say, man, that was a really cool day. And that's something that will impact your family for the rest of your life. And so I just want to invite you to come and be a part of that and find ways and ask yourself, am I investing more of my strength in God. So finally, am I investing more of my mind in God? You know, Pastor Mark talked about uh, reading from James last week that we need to pray for wisdom out of our faith and never doubting. And more than that, that we don't just need to pray for wisdom and ask God for wisdom, but part of that is seeking out that wisdom. In fact, he reminded us that Jesus says, seek and ye shall find, and reminding and pointing to the fact that finding is reserved for the seeking. So I want to invite us to stay curious, seek godly wisdom, read books, or better yet, there's a big old book right here that we can all uh, dive into and read. And, and you know, if we have trouble reading this book, we have small groups available to help us to go through that time together. Join a small group, build your wisdom together. And you know, when God calls us to build our wisdom, to give our mind to God, to love God with all of our mind, we're not just supposed to keep it in. We need to share it. We need to offer different perspectives and uh, glorify God and bless others with our wisdom. And so I just want to invite you. It's not too late to get involved in our church-wide study. We still have small groups that are meeting. You can um, let somebody in the church office know. You can email me. There's a lot of ways to do that. Join a small group because I can't tell you how many times I've been in a small group and somebody has said something about a particular passage. And I know I'm seminary trained and I've, you know, I'm very pastorly, but... The reality is, every time I'm in a small group and somebody's talking about a passage, there's never been a time that I haven't learned something. There's never been a time that the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken through somebody else and showed me something that I just didn't see before. So I want to invite you. How are you investing? Am I investing more of my mind in God? Am I investing more of my heart? Am I investing more of my soul? Am I investing more of my strength? Am I investing more of my mind in God? You know, one of the things I I love about this church is that we provide real ways for you to take what you're learning and to apply it. And uh, one of the reasons I think people say that the church uh, doesn't work or doesn't transform them or doesn't matter in their lives is I think the reason they say that is because there's not a, a lot of opportunity to apply what you're learning. They don't offer application. You know, our mission statement here is we're a place where Jesus Christ transforms lives. And the reason we believe that and the reason we have that as our mission statement is because we offer practical application uh, ways to, to grow your faith. So I want to invite you to get involved. 
I promise you, it's really worth the investment. And it's, it really is an investment into heavenly things. And when you participate in what God is doing in the world, God does something uh, in you and changes your world. Because when, we are, when you're doing what the Word says, the Word is doing something in you. And James talks about that in a 125. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We don't have a knowledge problem. We have an application problem. When our faith grows into conviction and courage, and our conviction and our courage, our belief becomes more than an ideal. It becomes the thing that we're all about. And Christ calls us to be all about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And when we put our faith into action, friends, I'm going to tell you, our faith just works. And God continues to do this great work in us until we are totally and radically transformed, made new, extremely different. So I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? Our faith is a journey. We don't figure it all out at once. It's all in stages. We go through life uh, seeking and following God and, and seeking to do that by loving God with all that we have and, and to love others as ourselves. So I just want to invite you this week to really take serious that challenge. And there's homework on the back of the bulletin. You can uh, challenge yourself that way. But I want to invite you to just ask those four questions this week. You know, what are the, what are the ways, if, if a lack of conviction and a lack of courage is really what's, what you're struggling with, then we need to pray for those things. But we also need to ask ourselves, am I investing more of my heart, more of my soul, mind, and strength in God? So friends, I want to challenge us to do this, that, that this week because I want to tell you, there's no better time than now. And friends, if we take that first step and then the next step, it's amazing what God will do in and through us and in the ways that we will get to see life change happen in this world, not only for us, but for the people around us.